So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Explain to me again how it's okay to call me at work and visit me at my home and embarrass me in front of the people that live with me. Well, it certainly wasn't intended to embarrass you, but we reach out in any way that we can, and sometimes it means that we have to... But, 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 but why, why, are we calling, why are we calling this reach out in the first place? I don't understand. Reaching out means, you know, going through community leaders. It means involving the media. It means involving the public. I think you're misusing the term reach out here. Outreach, you mean? Outreach, outreach, reaching out to people. I think you're misusing the term here with all due respect. Well, I don't consider outreach to be specifically for public relations functions. Like, I think a lot of it in my line of work is reaching out to people one-on-one and having conversations with people in all kinds of different communities about all kinds of different issues. What you just heard comes from a phone call with a CSIS agent. It was recorded by Jined Moid. That is a pseudonym. He doesn't want to use his real name for work reasons. Earlier this summer, we spoke to civil rights advocate Monia Mazig about Muslims getting unannounced visits from CSIS, a Canadian intelligence agency. Sometimes intelligence officers show up at the homes of these men and women. Sometimes they call them at work. CSIS says they're engaging in outreach, but people who spoke to Monia felt they were being intimidated. None of these people were interested in talking to the media. But now, Jeanette's here to tell us about the experience as a Muslim man of being visited and questioned for reasons he can only guess at by employees of the Canadian government. I'm Vicky Mochama. I'm Sabrina Devetti. And this is Canada Land Commons. This episode of Canada Land Commons is brought to you by BarkBox.com. Every month, BarkBox picks the best all-natural treats and innovative toys to match your dog's unique needs, whether it has allergies, is a heavy chewer, or just your typical pooch. Now, my dog, Cody, does indeed come with some special needs, so BarkBox is actually great. BarkBox is a great way to try a variety of treats and toys from local businesses that you might not find otherwise. They keep sending you new and unique toys, and what dog wouldn't want that? If your dog doesn't like something in the box, BarkBox will send something new that they love. For free, because they care about the happiness of your dog. When you sign up for BarkBox, you can get an extra box free by using our offer code. Go to getbarkbox.com slash commons. Again, that's getbarkbox.com slash commons to receive an extra month of BarkBox for free. Yeah, so I'd like to actually just start with like a Muslim tradition in our community, which is uh, um, 
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, which translates as in the name of God, the most gracious, the most merciful. How this all started for me uh, was really after I came back from Egypt. Uh, I studied at a government institute in Egypt between 2011 and 2013. I think everyone knows about the political situation over there. I was never involved in any single protest or any politics. I just kept to teaching English and studying. And I came back in 2013, and that's when it all hit rock bottom. I was uh, pulled over by the CBSA. My laptop was taken away from me. Uh, when they didn't have any issues with me, they then released me. Sorry, and just to clarify, CBSA is the Canadian Border Services Agency. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. They actually partner up with CSIS and share information, as I came to learn. Mm-hmm. Within a few days, CSIS came to my home. They knocked on my door and, you know, they embarrassed me in front of my landlord. My landlord got scared because this is all new for him. My roommates were asking questions. Do they come uniformed? Like, do they look like no. agents? Like they- yeah, so luckily I was not actually home at the time. Uh, I was actually at the library and uh, they talked to my landlord. What oh. did they say? They said, so, oh, yeah. Sorry, so you weren't present, so they took it upon themselves to then talk to your landlord, irrespective Cor- of you having given them permission. Exactly. When I came back to Canada with the CBSA, I did leave my address an email and I said if you have any issues because I wanted to be cooperative I guess I was being naive but uh, to answer your question yeah they just came they talked to my landlord they said we're from the Canadian government and he and his family they got freaked out a little bit as well too what did they tell your landlord they just give them a business card their business cards they look like they just have a name on it mm-hmm. they're blank they're very much blank and by the way people should know they don't use real names okay that's the supposedly protect their identity the downside is that you know we can't inquire <laughs> can't say it's very difficult for us to take legal action but um i'm starting to speak to every single imam community leader and activist in the muslim community here in canada and reach out to organizations like yours and i'm coming across more and more muslims that have been contacted randomly by CSIS. just a few days ago a friend of a friend actually said i face a similar situation i was prevented from getting a job i want to hear more about this the ground experience of what that looks like when CSIS approaches you what was the first communication that they had i used to volunteer uh, with the muslim students association i also volunteered with a youth organization uh, in calgary that is actually when they contacted our organizations that was like a contact of an organization they contacted other people within the organization this for me was when they singled me out you know they put the net of suspicion and let me tell you i guess the best analogy that, that i can give you is that they're suspicious of me or suspicious of someone but we don't know why I'll tell you things like we're just here to do outreach. We're just at here to ask you about other people. In my specific case, we just wanted to know about your experiences overseas. This is actually a very common question. We just want to know about your experience overseas. But isn't the flip side to that that your regular ev- everyday average Canadian would be like, okay, wh- is that so bad to be questioned your experience overseas? Because all experiences overseas aren't equal, right? It, and there are different. Yeah, and that's a very good question. So the point is, is that they're not telling you the truth. So it's basically the analogy that I'll give you is like, imagine if you got pulled over by the police, you were ticketed three hundred dollars, right? And you're not told why you're why you're being inconvenienced. So you just pay the fine, but you don't know why. I have filed for an information and privacy with the Information and Privacy Act. It came out blank. I can't find out anything. So I can't find out the real answers as to why they're, they're, they're asking me. CSIS will never submit anything in writing. They'll never send you a letter. Mm-hmm. When they're coming and approaching individuals in the community, they're not necessarily telling the truth. So now, Jeanette, you sent us a phone call in which you were speaking to an agent, and one of the things that you said at the beginning was, the thing I like about you is that you've been courteous. Some CSIS officers are not like that. What exactly were you talking about? So as I said, I was involved in organizations here in Canada uh, where I was given public roles, and I know 
that uh, CISOs officers have contacted those organizations. Our organizations, though, the head of our organizations, refused to meet with them at the time, based on principle, that we don't want to have a cozy relationship with the intelligence agency. Obviously, if any Muslim sees an imminent threat in Canada, any person, any whether you're Muslim or not, you're going to call the police. But CSIS doesn't have the power to arrest. They're there. A lot of the times we know from Mahar Arar and uh, many other cases, they've actually made the lives of people hell. The net of suspicion is cast on someone or a community. And, you know, you know in, this, in this particular case, when it comes to individuals, we don't know why. Can we play just a couple of clips from the phone call and get your reaction? Yes, please. So here's what the agent said about why CSIS had come to your house. When we're reaching out to people, we'll try any different means of doing that, whether we have your phone number, your cell phone number, in the case where I went to your door, it's because I didn't have any phone number for you, but I had your address based on uh, what you were talking to the guys at uh, the border, right? Right. I also left them my email, by the way. They will not send anything in writing. Why is that? Because obviously they can potentially face legal consequences. I actually think CSIS is shooting themselves in the foot when they go out and they contact people. I think it can actually further isolate some young people. It can make them more angrier because they're not taking the proper precautions. They're just casting the net of suspicion. No other community is treated in the same manner. I feel it's against uh, you know who we are as Canadians and our principles. But I mean, clearly there are certain situations where a visit from CSIS would be warranted. Lay some of those out for me. I, I always say this. I always say that CSIS's mandate, 10% of it is to crack down on terrorism. 90% is ideology, networking, and, and you know to make links in the community, to get the community to spy on itself, uh, which is really pathetic. I don't think any Muslim has any issue with preventing terrorism. You know what I mean? If someone needs additional screening because of some serious issues, uh, yes, that's not a problem. But again, when it infringes on someone's civil liberties, we need to bring these things to light. My position here is that there's not transparency with these things. Right. So the body that oversees CSIS, SIRC, CIRC, it's not doing its job. It's not a proper watchdog. It's not critical of CSIS. Sure, but I mean, there's a line in between somebody coming to your to your home or to your work and, and harassing you and simply asking imams or community leaders about if there are any kids that they think, you know, are facing isolation issues, feel like they may could be bullied, are delving into dark territory in terms of their web activity or in terms of their... Yeah. So, like, that, that relationship obviously needs to be established so that there's a sense of trust there, right? Uh, on, on one hand, yes and no. Let me speak very frankly here. We have uh, Israeli Canadians who overseas join the Israeli army and massacre Palestinians. That, for me, is a form of terrorism. But I mean, they're joining an army, so it's not terrorism. It's actually, it's an army. No, I disagree with you. It is a form of terrorism. Why is it when Israel bombs Palestine? It's, it's, because legally it's a country. That, that's a different legal definition, actually. I know. No, I don't, I just, we, we do not have the privilege to define terrorism. Absolutely not. I mean, I don't think we can accept... I'm not saying... I, no, it's okay. I, no, I, I, I'm not I don't saying think, you don't... You, I don't think we can accept... I, I think you can perceive it, but I think there's a difference I don't think we accept. We cannot accept, legal reality. We cannot accept this... This definition where, where every time Israel goes to war with Palestine, 2,000 Palestinians are killed, a couple of Israelis are killed, and we call that a war. It is not an objective discussion to say that Israel is defending itself. I didn't say it, that. It, it, it is this notion that, 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 you know what, airstrikes, drone strikes, they're not terrorism. I'm sorry. Sometimes they're terrorism or worse than terrorism. We don't have, as a community in the West, we don't have the privilege of using the term selectively and exclusively you know that one group of people is always called a group of terrorists i mean i think everyone knows here in 2015 there were over 300 mass killings in the united states 
Anders Breivik, Dylan Roof. I want a Canadian or an American to look me in the face and tell me that Anders Breivik, uh, Dylan Roof. What about the guy in Moncton in the Maritimes? Yeah, they're terrorists killed, too. So killed, is Mark Lapin. So is no, Richard Henry Bla- Bain, who's on trial right now in Quebec for trying to kidnap Paul Emmanuel. I didn't get your name. I forgot. Supriya. Supriya. Supriya, did the media call those people terrorists? I, the I, media might not necessarily use that term, and I can't speak to each case, but I think I don't the RCMP that, and the that police that definitely is an issue the with the media I, not I'm calling just, it, I'm just but, curious but I'm not saying... Why, I'm just curious to know why you're defending Israel so much. I'm defending a legal principle. Yeah. That's the, I'm, I'm a, Explain I'm a, it to me, please. I, I went to, I I, went I to really, law school. Like, really, there's, okay, the, 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 I mean, so, you went to law school doesn't mean anything, but... but I mean, it means but, a little something, because it means I know a little bit about the law more than you do, so I think that means something. So you heard about the airstrikes that killed hundreds of civilians in Syria? Uh, no, day, right? yes. I'm not saying that's not terrible and that's not horrible. And so we shouldn't necessarily pursue the government for extrajudicial killings or perhaps for, for war crimes. So, that's a separate issue. So no, no, You're no, talking no, about well, the definition of terror so, and the definition of terrorism. So what, what Right is now, that? we can't be at war with ISIS because ISIS isn't a state. ISIS is not a state-backed but, army. Yeah, They're no, not a you're, militia. You're, you're, you're conflating two issues. I'm not talking about Daesh. No, I'm not that, conflating listen, anything listen, because listen, I know listen. the law. I want to ask you, do you think the media objectively talks about civilian deaths overseas? No, I don't. So why is it a problem when I call it a form of terrorism? Because legally, that's not what it is. What do you mean? I'm just saying legally that we have who, definitions who, who, for So you're, you're, you're saying you come up with a I definition? I think it can be war crimes. It's you're not saying, terrorism. You're, you're saying in our textbooks, we're allowed, in our political science textbooks, we're allowed to write Dude, the definition. Dude, I think defini- you're getting hung up on semantics here no, for no reason. No, this is a very important point because you know why it's very important? You have to understand why some Muslim youth are angry. This is not about justification, but it explains why young people are angry. This is the, the, the larger point that I'm, I'm trying to uh, draw to, is that the more we pressure the Muslim community to keep quiet about politics or to not speak out about these wars overseas, these young people are actually going to go on, you know, wherever and get their information about Islam from the wrong sources, rather than studying with their own Muslim community so, or their own Muslim scholars. Our Muslim scholars here in Canada, they want to talk about these issues, but the issue is, is that they're pressured by the Canadian securities institutions like the Canadian Securities Intelligence Services to not talk about these things. The, the media climate doesn't allow for these things. We, as Canadians, Americans, Westerners, Muslims, whoever, we cannot compromise on this definition. I, I, I urge you to contact the Independent Jewish Voices of Canada as well, too. Speak to them. Ask them if what Israel does is terrorism. It is a form of terrorism. I'm sorry, you, we cannot be the ones to define it initially and then Impose, but by your impose, definition, impose, the impose U.S. Definition. is also engaged in okay. terrorism. NATO I think we should. NATO-led forces are, are also engaged in terrorism. I think we should move on. I no, just. No, no, I want to no, ask a question. No, I, I want to follow. I want to continue. I do, do want to respond to that. Just because you're in a uniform, oh, d- right. this doesn't mean you can't commit an act of terrorism. So can we? Let's circle back to this conversation about CSIS. Do you feel that there's an acceptable way for CSIS to approach members of the Muslim community? It should be done with transparency. After a lot of pressure in the United States, the FBI actually had a public meeting with uh, the Muslim community. Here, and I've actually proposed this when uh, the CSIS officer called me, I said, why don't you have meetings in public? Why don't we put these things on air so people can voice their concerns? But they're completely against that. Is, uh, there, is there a model for this sort of open communication that you'd like to see? Is there a state that's currently doing it that CSIS could try to look yeah, at? Yeah, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was Denmark. I can't, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly. But this nature of, you know, we unfortunately we heard this guy, Aaron Driver, right? He just uh, died, uh, shot by the RCMP. I wished the Muslim community could reach out to this guy to get this guy to understand Islam properly from the correct sources, but let me ask a rhetorical question here. 
why didn't the Muslim community want to probably reach out to him when they heard of him? Because they're probably afraid. I can tell you the way this works is by guilt by association. Someone who knows someone who knows someone who knows someone, you know, we're all guilty in that respect. Just having known someone can, can get you a phone call or cast the net of suspicion. So you're saying preemptively and, and, because he was already under peace bond that nobody wanted to approach him because it was like, who yeah, wants to be involved po- in that sort of situation? Po- possibly, possibly. I really don't know. And I mean, I may, I'm being hypocritical here. I, didn't, I did not reach out to him. Having been involved in youth work, I wish I could have had a discussion with this guy to guide him in the right direction. It's very unfortunate what happened. For me, it's, it's very shameful. I mean, I want Muslims to be uh, a critical part of Canada. Do you think Aaron Driver could potentially make things worse for the Muslim community? Anytime a Muslim does something, the whole community is kind of, there's like this collective guilt. I never met the guy, I never spoke to him, but I feel guilty now, all of a sudden. Mm. I shouldn't feel like that. No other community should feel like that, whether it's Black Lives Matter or the Caucasian community or Latino community or Asian community, the Jewish community. You shouldn't have to feel guilty because there's someone who, in your community who committed a crime or did something uh, abhorrent. So for you now, you tried to find information on why CSIS visited, visited you. What's your next steps? This is, this is actually, I, I, I didn't really finish my story because there's actually a lot more. I wanted to tell you a little bit about uh, what, you know, what happened to me later on. My Facebook was also hacked when I came back uh, in September Whoa. 2013. Late September, they had, uh, I did get receive a notification. When I logged into my Facebook, it said your Facebook had been accessed from Ottawa which I think was probably an organization that I came to learn about. That's from, fucked from, up. That's, yeah. that's, that's I, I, yeah, I, I came to learn about it from Glenn Greenwald. I didn't even know about this. CSEC. CSEC is the name of the organization. Now they've changed their name to CSE. This is like Canada's NSA. Mm-hmm. So they can literally, they can, uh, you know, spy on your phone. They can look, listen to your conversations. And a lot of people say, uh, you know, as Glenn Greenwald points out, well, I have nothing to hide. You know, and that's true. I, I don't care if someone looked at my emails. There might be some embarrassing stuff in there. But um, who well, is it's the, who, the principle? Who, it's the violation yeah, of well, your privacy. Yeah, you have a yeah, yeah I, just, I just want to drill this point into to to Canadi- our fellow Canadians. The pair of eyes that are going to be looking at your information, they're going to be very subjective. A lot of the times I feel, you know, uh, this might be a somewhat of a generalization. Can CSIS differentiate between groups like Tabliki Jamaat or Diobandis versus the Muslim Brotherhood versus Daesh? You know, two of those groups that I just mentioned, they're completely opposed to violence. They're nonviolent. They've spoken out against terrorism. But unfortunately, I feel these intelligence agencies, they lump Muslims together. They're not able to decipher between different types of Muslims. So after you found out about your Facebook problem, what was, were there other obstacles that you faced yeah, absolutely. Um, and you felt were a direct result of your interaction with CSIS. Yeah. Turning point in all of this was probably when I was denied entry to the United States. I have family in the United States. I have relatives in the United States. I fly there once a year or twice a year. When I was in Egypt, I actually took direct flights from Egypt to the United States without issues. In, two, in the summer of 2014, I went for Ramadan to spend the last 10 days of Ramadan with my family in the United States. I was denied entry, and I still... Were you told why? No, I was not. I I stayed at the airport for about eight hours that day. I was talking to CBSA officers. I was talking to the the American side. No one could tell me why. Sorry, so did you you (coughs) land, and they stopped you on the... Like, I'm just... No, yeah, so so, so I went up to the counter. I was ready to get my boarding pass, and they said, sorry, sir, we cannot board you on this flight. And I said, "Uh, why not? Um, I'm sorry, I can't give you any information. That was it. So I went to the, the American Embassy here in Toronto. I gave them all my information. They asked me for all the places that I lived and worked in the last 15 years. I sent them all that information, and still nothing happened. I also tried to enter by ground as well, too, with my mother. 
and uh, we were held for four hours. They were pretty friendly overall. One thing that, that was funny, though, is that he's like, what do you think about Sharia law? And I was like, you know, do, do, I mean, do you have a book on Sharia law? Have you ever studied Sharia law? I've studied Sharia law for years. Uh, do you know Sharia law talks about the rights of your neighbor, about giving to charity? I mean, what, why don't you have issues with that part of Sharia law, right? You're bold. When my family is at the board and my mother says, you are not allowed to speak, <laughs> even if they ask you a question, look at me first, <laughs> and then we'll decide if you can speak. <laughs> so, like... Held so, for four hours, yeah. So were you able to get across the border after that? I, w- I was not. I haven't been allowed back in. So thank you, Barack Obama. Uh, but maybe Donald Trump will let me in. No, no, actually, never mind. That, 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 that won't happen. Like so <laughs> you still don't know why. You still have no idea why they stopped you. The only information you were given is that you're not allowed. They don't. They can't give you any more information. If any lawyer out there wants to contact me, uh, you can contact Kendall Land. They'll give you my contact information. I'm ready to work with you. Uh, obviously, obviously, you have to be very cheap. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, the, the, I've spent almost a couple thousand dollars on lawyers so far. I've gotten nowhere. In my own country, by the way. I was born and raised here. Um, also, my passport was recently delayed. Uh, so I, I went to get my passport renewed. What happened? And I was told I'll get it within uh, one to two weeks. And uh, then I got a letter and a phone call saying that your, your passport has gone to review in Ottawa. That's when I contacted uh, The Intercept. So that's Glenn Greenwald's um, uh, media organization. And I just had enough. I, I want to be very frank with you folks here. I know I'm, I might be very bold right now or, or outspoken, but um, I wasn't always like this. And in fact, when you're contacted by CSIS, I didn't want to tell my family. I didn't want to tell my friends. I was scared about the suspicion that we put on me. A lot of Muslims feel like this. I mean, imagine like, like your, your community already has this net of suspicion. Like if you, if you want to be a Muslim uh, pilot, <laughs> right, that's a no-no. You can't, you can't do that. There, there are things that we've come to accept socially, but I don't think we should, we should allow this pattern to continue. And um, I want to just say that when I was contacted by CSIS, yeah, it does cause you a lot of anxiety. And then I thought a long time, and, I, and it was due to the exam- watching the example of other Muslims and other civil liberties activists, even the ones from outside our community, that I realized that I need to have a little bit of courage. I need to have a spine and speak for this for my community and, and for the principles as a Canadian that I believe in. I ended up receiving uh, my passport, I think, after a couple weeks. I actually emailed uh, someone in my network, and they said, yeah, I know of someone else who this has happened to, because it's very rare. And they advised me to go to my MP, because they faced this issue for months and months. It just dragged on. They didn't know where to go. You can go to the civil liberties organization, you can go to lawyers, but they may not tell you because this is all new. All these security laws are new to us. I can't even find out right now why my passport was delayed. I think I have a right to know as a Canadian. Just tell me why. If you have questions, I can answer those questions. But you need to tell me, you need to give me reasons. I finally got my, my, uh, my passport by going to my MP. They were very helpful. They actually wrote to the passport office demanding to know why they're holding my passport. Finally, I got my passport. I also wrote a letter to Justin Trudeau, uh, the Green Party, the NDP. I wrote a letter to the public safety minister. He actually did respond. He said that the, 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 they're working on repealing uh, Bill C-51. Uh, I don't know how true that is. Uh, so yeah, he ha- he's told you in writing they're working on repealing it and they're, not just they're, amending they're, it. They're, they're, yeah, they're amending it. My fault. Yeah. So yeah, that's correct. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No uh, and uh, I'm sorry for getting a little bit heated, but uh, I think it, you know it's going to actually bring you guys more views. So. Okay, so Supriya, I also spoke to another guy who had a home visit from CSIS. Do tell. So he's actually not Muslim. He's a pensioner who lives in Hamilton, Ontario. But he's also an outspoken anti-war activist, environmental, and anti-racist activist. His name is Ken Stone. 
So Cesis just sort of showed up at his door the same way that we just heard from Janed? Yeah, so after Cesis came to his door, he launched a complaint with CERC, which is the Security and Intelligence Review Committee. Right, and CERC is the board that's appointed to oversee the Canadian intelligence agencies. Yeah, absolutely. So three years have passed since he filed his complaint, and now Ken is finally expecting an outcome of his complaint this fall. We'll get into all of that, of course, but first I wanted to ask him about what his visit from Cecil was like. It was January 30th, 2013. I was sitting on my front porch, as I am now, at my computer, and uh, there was a knock at the door, and I could see through the frosted glass that there were two people standing there, and it, uh, I thought to myself, oh, it's uh, those Jehovah's Witnesses again. And so I opened the door, and to my great surprise, they weren't Jehovah's Witnesses at all. They were two women who identified themselves as CSIS agents. They asked me if I was Ken Stone, and uh, they said they wanted to talk to me. They knew about my trip to Iran. They knew about my article in The Spectator, my op-ed piece critical of the Harper government for demonizing Iran and they said they wanted to uh, come in and talk to me about my connections to the government of Iran. And they told me that they had lots of complaints from Iranian emigres that the embassy in Ottawa was harassing them, and they wanted to know my opinion of that. How long did the visit last? I would say three or four minutes, maybe. I had read the uh, online um, pamphlet by the People's Network of Montreal, People's Commission Network of Montreal, which is entitled, If CSIS Comes Knocking, and it includes two videos telling you uh, what to do or advising you not to share any information with CSIS because they had been visiting a lot of activists across the country, and in the opinion of the People's Commission, this was harassment and intimidation. So I thanked them for coming. I uh, asked for their, their card. And I uh, politely said, uh, I do not wish to share any information with you, and I closed the door. How did you feel that day? I was, frankly, very upset. And the more I thought about it, the angrier I got. I was also frightened, and I got uh, more frightened the more I thought about it. Just a few minutes uh, after these CSIS agents knocked at my door, an imam from a mosque I know in Toronto called me up and on another matter altogether. And uh, I told him that I had this unusual experience of the CSIS agents at my front door. And uh, he proceeded to describe them. He said, you know what, we've had these particular people come uh, knocking on doors of members of our congregation for quite some time now. In his opinion, he said, what they're trying to do is saying, we're watching you, we know what you're doing, and uh, we're keeping an eye on you. And so I phoned, uh, on my wife's request, I phoned my uh, MP. She said, this is not acceptable. Who's your MP, just so we can clarify? Uh, my MP was uh, Chris Charlton. She is now retired. Okay. NDP MP for Hamilton Mountain. She said, this was not appropriate. Uh, you're engaged in lawful dissent. You shouldn't be visited by the uh, security police. And she arranged for me to speak on a phone call to Randall Garrison, who was at the time the NDP's security critic in Parliament. Two days later, 15 minutes before question period, I was told, Randall Garrison gave me a call. I told him the story. He said he was unhappy to hear about my visit. And he said, I was one of the lucky ones. 
Uh, I said, what do you mean? And he said, you got a home visit. Uh, I get lots of uh, calls and complaints from people, mostly Muslim women, who get on-the-job visits from CSIS. What happens is that when CSIS shows up at the door at these women's houses, their husbands or their fathers do not let them in. So CSIS merely shows up at the women's place of work. And, of course, what happens is that uh, after their CSIS visits them at work, their employer terminates their uh, employment and they're out of work. So that's why uh, Randall Garrison said I was one of the lucky ones. So do you know that you were targeted specifically because of what you'd written about Iran and your trip to Iran? I don't know that. That was the reason which they gave, that is the CSIS agents gave, to me at the door. At the hearing, the complaint hearing we had in Ottawa a year ago, uh, in September, I think it was September 8th and 9th, we did not get a good reason told to us in the open part of the hearing at which my lawyer and I could attend. There was a secret part, an ex-party hearing within the hearing at which neither I or my lawyer were permitted to attend. And it was at that hearing that um, CSIS would uh, spill the whole beans, so to speak, about the visit behind closed doors to the Security Intelligence Review Committee. Uh, It was a day or two after the open part of the hearing. And uh, the Security Intelligence Review Committee never revealed to us what exactly prompted the visit to my house. What have they told you? According to this bizarre way that the CSIS Act is written and the opaque nature of the process, I can't tell you some of the things that we did find out. The process is very lacking in transparency. One of the things that I can do is I can tell you what I said in the, at the hearing. I can tell you what my lawyer said at the hearing. But as you can see now, I'm in a position where I can't legally tell you what we found out through the Security Intelligence Review Committee about what the CSIS agents said at the hearing about the visit. All I can say is they claim it was a routine visit And they had made a purposeful decision beforehand not to call me on the phone to try and set up an appointment, but rather just a cold call to CSIS agents uh, knocking at the door without any previous warning. So, in my opinion, this was uh, not an attempt, a serious attempt to talk to me and build a relationship with me. It was an attempt to scare the pants off me, which it did. Can you tell us what it was like to go through the complaint process? Uh, it's a long and drawn-out process designed, obviously, to discourage people from taking advantage of the process. In the first place, you have to write to CSIS and file a complaint. And I did so, and I uh, asked them to uh, apologize for exceeding their mandate. Their mandate is clearly to steer clear of people engaged in lawful dissent. So I wrote the complaint, and I sent it to uh, CSIS. They have 30 days to answer. If they don't answer, your next step is to complain instead to the Security Intelligence Review Committee, which is the oversight body for CSIS. The Security Intelligence Review Committee is a group of part-timers, political appointees. They're all leftovers right now from the Harper government. They meet not very often. 
and they get paid big bucks. It's a patronage job, high-paying patronage job. And uh, they handle, I think it's something like a couple of dozen complaints a year. The average turnover time for a complaint is 30 months. The problem with the Security Intelligence Review Committee besides all this is that the decisions they take are not binding on CSIS. They're not binding on the federal government. So actually, it's a completely toothless watchdog. So I complained to them, and um, they wrote back and asked me to make submissions. Fortunately, a lawyer stepped forward. His name is Bijon Roy, and uh, Bijon was kind enough to offer his services pro bono, absolutely free, except I had to pay his out-of-pocket expenses for documents, etc., and I had to pay my own way to Ottawa for the hearing. You know, if I hadn't had that offer, there would have been no chance for me to be able to present a, a credible complaint before the, the CERC committee because it's very technical. Uh, you need to know the law very well, uh, as Bijan does. And um, if his services weren't free, I simply couldn't have afforded it as a pensioner. So where does your complaint stand at this point? We had the hearings last September, so a one-day hearing in Ottawa. There was the uh, ex-party hearing that the CSIS agents reported into CERC. Their testimony was uh, taken down word for word in the hearing, and a summary was given to my lawyer. Mr. Roy was not happy with the report that CERC gave about the testimony of the CSIS agents because it wasn't very full. It was all... It was very summarized in point form and didn't answer many of the questions that we asked the CERC to ask CSIS agents behind closed doors in the ex-party hearing. Then uh, CSIS was to respond, and uh, CSIS did respond finally a uh, couple of weeks ago, making their final submission when they still were in denial about any wrongdoing that they might have done in my case. They continued to challenge my complaint in every point, and um, my lawyer wrote a response. And now sometime in the fall, probably, the Security Intelligence Review Committee will make a final decision on my complaint. What happens if that final decision isn't in your favor? At that point, uh, we'll have a media conference, and we'll call on the Canadian government to change the process completely. If this CERC committee finds that CSIS uh, was acting properly in knocking unannounced at my door to ask me questions about an article I had written in the Hamilton Spectator, uh, we will say that, that CERC is wrong, that CSIS must observe its mandate to stay away f- from people engaged in lawful dissent in Canada. But I do encourage the uh, government to uh, revamp the complaints process so it's easier for other people and not so extensive to file a complaint. I do encourage the government to uh, make the complaint process transparent and to make the civilian oversight by, uh, be a parliamentary committee, a standing parliamentary committee, as in Europe, for example, which has teeth and can tell thesis or the security agencies of which there are now 12 or 13, to do something and make them do it. And I would encourage other people at that point to come forward and not let the security agencies browbeat people 
when they're violating their mandate. And the mandate is clear. The mandate says, stay away from people engaged in legitimate dissent. What did Ken say about his hopes going forward? Does he actually think things are getting better? No, not at all. Fortunately, the Harper government is gone, but I'm not sure that the uh, liberal government of Justin Trudeau uh, has uh, reversed anything, really. I mean, the Trudeau government was for Bill C-51, and the Trudeau government hasn't changed Canada's foreign policy on the Middle East very much, though they say that they are moving towards reestablishing diplomatic relations with Iran. On that point about what CSIS is doing now, we actually asked them to comment and they wrote to us. uh, Let me give you what they said. So they said, intelligence officers from the Canadian Security Intelligence Service build relationships with individuals and human sources to collect information to advise our government about possible threats to the country. When it seeks cooperation or assistance of Canadians, CSIS emphasizes the voluntary nature of discussions. What do you make of their statement? It's... um um, it's not true. That's our show for this week. If you liked it, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Our producer was Kevin Sexton, and that great music you heard was produced by Nathan Burley. Check us out at CanadaLandShow.com. If you want to reach out to us with any questions or concerns, you can email me, Vicky, at CanadaLandShow.com, or you can reach Supriya at Supriya at CanadaLandShow.com. Next episode of Shortcuts is out on Thursday. We're off next week, but we'll be back to our regular schedule in September. If you like the show, please support us. Go to Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.